Welcome to the February 22nd, 2024 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. First on today's podcast, CAR T-cells plus abrutinib for the treatment of relapsed refractory mantle cell lymphoma. In the Phase II TARMAC study, the overall safety of this combination appears promising and may merit further exploration. Up next, a new saga for acute myeloid leukemia. New research reveals a role for the chromatin reader protein SGF29 in the transcription of AML oncogenes. Deletion of SGF29 impaired leukemogenesis, suggesting an attractive new therapeutic target. Finally, new evidence that oxygen delivery to tissues can become diffusion-limited during perfusion with stored blood. This has implications for multiple clinical scenarios, including major hemorrhage, transfusion, and ex vivo organ perfusion. Our first research article is CAR T-cells and time-limited abrutinib as treatment for relapsed refractory mantle cell lymphoma, or MCL, the Phase II TARMAC study. The first author of this study is Adrian Minson of Peter McCollum Cancer Center in Melbourne, Australia. As background, we know novel therapies in MCL have improved outcomes, yet still have significant limitations. For example, the inhibitors of brutin tyrosine kinase, or BTK, such as abrutinib, have high response rates and are broadly accepted as second-line and subsequent therapy. However, the efficacy is limited, with typically only one to three years before resistance or disease progression. Patients with high-risk features such as TP53 mutations or blastoid morphology are less likely to respond initially and relapse more rapidly. It's a similar story with CAR T-cell therapies. Both Brexacel and Lysocel have also demonstrated robust response rates in MCL, even in high-risk patients, and side effects such as cytokine release syndrome, CRS, and neurotoxicity can be significant. Interestingly, one way to overcome the limitations of BTK inhibitors and CAR T-cell therapies may be to combine them, and clinical researchers conducting this study hypothesized that using the two agents together could extend disease control mitigate cytokine toxicity, and allow for a time-limited use of the BTK inhibitor. In clinical trials for chronic lymphocytic leukemia, ibrutinib was safe to administer alongside CAR T-cell therapy. Ibrutinib also improved CAR T-cell expansion and may have contributed to lower adverse event severity, particularly for CRS. Adding a BTK inhibitor may also have a positive effect on T-cell fitness. So the current research article is focused on the combination of abrutinib and another CAR T-cell therapy, T-cell. We know less about T-cell and MCL as compared to Brexacel and Lysocel. However, in clinical trials for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma and acute lymphoblastic leukemia, T-cell has shown prolonged responses and low rates of adverse events, notably neurotoxicity. Based on these observations, the investigators initiated this Phase 1-2 study of abrutinib plus CTL-019, the investigational form of TCCL, in patients with relapsed refractory MCL. Prior BTK inhibitor therapy was allowed, but patients who had received CAR T-cell therapy or allogeneic stem cell transplantation were excluded. Patients started abrutinib treatment before leukapheresis throughout the CAR T-cell manufacturing process, 
and for at least six months after receiving the CAR T-cells. The primary endpoint of Tarmac was the rate of complete response four months after the CAR T-cell infusion. A total of 21 patients were enrolled, and 20 were evaluable. The median age was 66 years, and three-quarters of patients were male. The primary endpoint was met, according to investigators, with a complete response rate of 80% at four months post-infusion, which was significantly improved over the estimated rate of 20% anticipated with standard therapy at the time of study design. Investigators also assessed measurable residual disease, or MRD, by multiple methods. 70% of patients were MRD negative by flow cytometry, and 40% were negative by molecular methods. With a median follow-up of 13 months, median progression-free survival was not reached. The estimated 12-month progression-free survival was 75%, with no patient deaths as of the data cutoff. In terms of safety, CRS was observed in 15 patients, or 75%, of which 55% was grade 1 to 2 and 20% was grade 3. Two patients experienced neurotoxicity, which was reversible in both patients, and limited to grade 1 in one patient and grade 2 in the other. In a subgroup analysis, efficacy results were comparable even in patients who had prior BTKI exposure, where the complete response rate was again 90% or those with TP53 mutation, where the complete response rate was 70%. And as also reported in blood, deep responses correlated with robust CAR-T expansion and a less exhausted baseline T-cell phenotype. So, based on these results, does BTK inhibition improve CAR T-cell therapy in MCL? That's the question asked in a commentary authored by Alexander P. Boardman and M. Leah Palamba of Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. Boardman and Palamba say that based on the present study, starting a brutinib prior to apheresis for CD19-directed CAR T-cell therapy is safe and feasible in patients with MCL, and the complete response rate of 80% compares favorably with complete response rates achieved in prior CAR T-cell studies in MCL suggesting that the addition of abrutinib did not negatively impact the anti-tumor activity of TSSL. Furthermore, they say, the finding that deep responses correlate with robust CAR-T expansion lays the foundation for prospectively evaluating whether BTK inhibition augments CAR-T cell activity in MCL and other lymphomas. What's next? Boardman and Palamba argue that to adequately understand efficacy of the combination of CAR T-cell therapy with BTK inhibitor therapy in MCL will require controlled studies. And they advocate for prospective correlative analyses that would allow for insights into whether abrutinib induces changes in CAR T-cells that translate into differences in safety or efficacy. The present study, TARMAC, is the first to report on combined BTK inhibitor CAR T therapy in MCL but several other studies are ongoing or about to start. Altogether, the commentary authors conclude, there is hope that outcomes for patients with relapsed refractory MCL will be substantially better in years to come. Our next research article is Transcriptional Control of Leukemogenesis by the Chromatin Reader SGF29. And the first author is Karina Barbosa of Sanford Burnham Priebus Medical Discovery Institute in La Jolla, California. We know that acute myeloid leukemia is an aggressive and rapidly progressive hematologic malignancy that often requires prompt treatment. While newer therapies have improved outcomes in AML, relapse rates remain high, overall survival is poor, and treatment-related toxicities impact quality of life. Safer and more effective treatment options are clearly needed, 
yet drug development is challenging due to the molecular heterogeneity of the disease. That said, some common molecular pathways are dysregulated across a variety of AML subtypes. For example, upstream genetic alterations in AML have been shown to activate the clustered homeobox, or HOX, genes and their cofactors. Among these is the tail homeobox gene, MIS-1, a key leukemia stem cell-associated gene. Specifically, MIS-1 is a cofactor of leukemia-associated HOX-A transcription factors and is necessary for their leukemogenic capability. Experiments have shown that HOX-MIS expression is important in the pathogenesis of diverse AML subtypes, including those with rearrangements in MLL, NUP98, and AF10. Of note, overexpression of HOX-A9 in mouse hematopoietic stem and progenitor cells precipitates a myeloproliferative phenotype that can progress to AML upon co-expression of MIS-1. These experimental findings do have potentially broad implications for treatment. That is to say, targeting the HOX-MIS pathway might have anti-leukemic effects in a range of AML subtypes. However, HOX-MIS proteins are DNA-binding transcription factors, meaning they are difficult to target directly with a drug. So as described in the present research article, Barbosa and co-investigators set out to identify epigenetic modulators in AML, specifically in AF10 rearranged leukemia, that sustain HOX-MIS activation. They reasoned that these modulators, once found, could serve as nodes for drug development initiatives focused on this pathway. Their work, as described in Blood, includes pharmacological and CRISPR-based genetic screens to identify factors that silence the expression of MIS-1, specifically in an AML cell line expressing a fusion protein known as COM-AF10. In those screens, Barbosa and colleagues identified several novel regulators of HOX-MIS and other leukemia oncogenes, including BMI1, MYC, and SATB1. Using CRISPR droplet sequencing, they found that MIS-1 regulators controlled the transcription of several AML oncogenes. Most importantly, they identified a novel role for the chromatin reader protein SGF29 in AML. SGF29 belongs to a number of chromatin regulatory complexes, including the SAGA and ATAC complexes. It contains two tandem C-terminal tutor domains, which investigators determined were critical to its pro-leukemic activity. Investigators say their work identifies SGF29 as a critical epigenetic regulator that is needed to maintain oncogene transcription and leukemogenesis in a variety of AML subtypes. They found that SGF29 downregulated the expression of MIS-1 and other oncogenes, while at the same time upregulating the expression of genes associated with myeloid differentiation. SGF29 was validated across AML cell lines, demonstrating an ability to limit proliferation of MIS-1 HOX-A upregulated AML across multiple AML subtypes. They also looked at deletion of SGF29, which was shown to impair leukemogenesis in multiple AML subtype models. Altogether, the investigators say, these studies ascribe a novel function to the chromatin reader protein SGF29 and identify the SGF29 tutor domain as an attractive target for drug discovery. They believe that small molecule inhibitors in the SGF29 tutor domain will have potent anti-cancer effects, not only in AML, but in other cancers driven by activation of HOX-MIS or MYC oncogenes.
Authors of a commentary on these findings say that targeting SGF-29 represents a new saga for AML. The authors are Omar Abdel Wahab and Jitayu Biswas of Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. They say that Barbosa and colleagues have discovered a novel target, crucial for leukemogenic upregulation in MIS-1 and HOXA genes commonly driving leukemias with MLL and COM gene rearrangements. The current findings suggest that SGF-29 knockout may be selectively toxic to leukemic cells. One potential next step, the commentary authors say, might be the development of a conditional approach to SGF-29 knockout in mice. That could help elucidate the role of SGF-29 in both normal and cancerous blood cell production, and may provide clues as to the potential risks and benefits of an SGF-29-targeted therapy. Another important question is whether there are associated proteins in the saga and ATAC complexes that are also implicated in AMLs that are driven by HOXA MIS-1. If so, then there could be more novel therapeutic targets beyond just SGF-29 in these leukemias. Altogether, the commentary authors conclude, this work makes targeting SGF-29 through its tutor domain an attractive target for further development. The final article on today's podcast is Impaired Oxygen Unloading from Stored Blood Results in Diffusion-Limited Oxygen Release at Tissues, Evidence from Human Kidneys. The first author is Richard Dumbill of the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom. Maintaining the supply of oxygen to tissues is a crucial aspect of the body's regulatory processes. Oxygen delivery is particularly important in transfusion and organ transplantation as well as in acute conditions such as sepsis or major trauma. In these circumstances, blood oxygen levels can be dangerously low and adequate tissue perfusion mitigates later organ damage. The generally accepted view is that oxygen transfer to tissues is perfusion limited. Gas exchange at the capillaries is assumed to be rapid, such that the partial pressure of oxygen reaches equilibrium by the time red blood cells reach the venous end of the microvasculature. As a consequence of this, Clinical interventions designed to optimize oxygen delivery are typically focused on improving blood flow or increasing the quantity of oxygen in arterial blood, rather than addressing how red blood cells manage oxygen. We know that transfusion restores the oxygen-carrying capacity of blood, but what happens with stored blood? There are some studies indicating that, in stored blood, oxygen release is delayed, which may compromise the delivery of oxygen to tissues. That is to say, oxygen transfer may become diffusion-limited. That's where we join Richard Dumbill and co-authors. The present research article describes their search for evidence for diffusion-limited oxygen delivery, using viable human kidneys perfused with stored blood. The organs, studied ex vivo, were perfused with stored red blood cells, and tissue responses were recorded in real time. Dumbbell and colleagues measured the kinetics of oxygen unloading from RBCs using a single-cell oxygen saturation imaging technique that they had previously developed. The measurements were taken as part of a Phase I trial evaluating the safety and feasibility of prolonged normothermic machine perfusion of the kidney prior to deceased donor renal transplantation. They also studied kidneys deemed unsuitable for transplantation. These kidneys were perfused alternately with stored red blood cells that were kinetically compromised and stored red blood cells that were biochemically rejuvenated. Dumbbell and colleagues say that the results of their investigations challenge the notion that oxygen exchange at capillaries is always rapid. Their oxygen saturation imaging assessments revealed kinetics that were considerably slower than previously had been estimated. 
In stored blood allocated for kidney perfusions, red blood cells manifested a range of kinetic dysfunction, according to their report. This included red blood cells with oxygen unloading that was substantially slower than in reference blood. In perfused kidneys, respiratory rates were lower when blood with slow oxygen unloading kinetics was used. In kidneys that were later transplanted, there was an inverse correlation between renal respiration and the time constant of oxygen unloading from the red blood cells used for perfusion. And the respiratory rate did not correlate with arterial oxygen delivery, except when investigators factored in the rate of oxygen release from RBCs. Experiments in the kidneys not suited for transplant showed that switching to biochemically rejuvenated blood during perfusion quickly improved their oxygen diffusion capacity. Strikingly, the authors say, the simple biomechanical intervention they performed on the stored red blood cells raised renal cortex oxygen tension by 60%. Taken together, investigators say, these findings indicate that oxygen release in the kidney can be a diffusion-limited process at least in the kinetically dysfunctional red blood cells found in stored blood. They also highlight the need to consider the gas-handling properties of red blood cells. Furthermore, the findings justify efforts to optimize blood storage methods and protocols for blood rejuvenation. In a commentary, John R. Hess of the University of Washington in Seattle said these findings are at odds with the conventional view that oxygen offloading from RBCs is always faster than the capillary transit time and therefore, oxygen delivery to tissues can only be perfusion-limited. Hess says the existence of diffusion-limited oxygen delivery should not be surprising to hematologists, given that high-affinity hemoglobins and hereditary spherocytosis cause erythrocytosis, despite carrying equivalent amounts of oxygen to normal cells. But what implications do these findings have for clinical practice? In multiple large, randomized clinical trials, prolonged red blood cell storage has not demonstrated a clinical impact. Hess says it therefore would not be advisable, based on the current report, to disrupt an already tenuous blood supply with demands for red blood cells that are, quote, fresher. Dumbbell and co-authors say that while further research is needed, there may be some implications for clinical management. For example, in shock, diffusion-limited gas exchange could affect tissue oxygenation in response to inotropes. And in transfusions aimed at raising hemoglobin, clinicians may need to consider the oxygen-unloading kinetics of the blood product. Looking beyond the kidney, investigators say it will be important to evaluate diffusion limitation in organs such as the heart, brain, and skeletal muscle, where oxygen delivery needs to be as high as possible. And subsequent studies should also evaluate different storage protocols, rejuvenation techniques, and methods for measuring RBC kinetics, so that ultimately donations can be matched to the most appropriate recipient. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.